Welcome to Beer Massive, a collection of good beer-centric conversation, interviews, editorials, reviews, and more from a collective of centrally like-minded yet individually opinionated good beer fanatics. From podcasts born in the present, or from our massive library of brewer interviews from years past, we hope you enjoy what you hear. If you do enjoy what you hear, please subscribe. Feel free to reach out to us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram on tap, at Massive Beers, or email us individually at massivebeers at gmail.com. How you doing, internets? Uh, here we are again with a little bit of uh, Beer Massive podcast, International Network, LLC, whatever you want to call it, uh, on the road again, doing a bit of interviews. And today we are up in the beautiful, is it Elmira or Horseheads? Mailing address, Elmira. We're physically in the town of horses. <laughs> Nothing confusing about that. <laughs> Either way, we're at uh, Upstate Brewing talking to owner and head brewer Mark Newman. Is it Newman? It is. Okay, I didn't, uh, I didn't screw it up. So we're off to a good start. <laughs> one for one. There you go. What's going on, brother? Yeah, not much. Nah, it's, it's been a while Saturday. since I've been up here. <laughs> I, last time I was up here, probably almost a year ago, actually. Was, was it that long? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to Buffalo with my buddy George right, right. right in February, and uh, yeah, damn it, it's it's it, we're, we're you're about two hours and change away from me, so it's just that kind of like uh, just a little bit too too yeah. far, but um, I should definitely get up here for more. But anyway, um, we're here going to talk to Mark about a couple different things, but we also have in tow we have. Kyle. Are we allowed to say Kyle? Can we <laughs> use your real name here? Yeah, we'll use uh, just the first name. Yeah, <laughs> Kyle. Kyle does beer stuff and things and all kinds of stuff when it comes to the YouTubes and whatnot. And he's local fare, so I figured he'd be a, a good little uh, kind of co co pilot since I'm, uh, I was going to come up here flying solo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Upstate was one of the first local uh, breweries that we had. So yeah, yeah. When was the last time you were here? It better be like real soon because you you you, you live only what forty five minutes away. I'm an hour. I'm an hour. Um, it was. Summertime, actually. Oh, yeah. such a jerk. Uh, get out. You're not allowed to be here now. <laughs> That's not the last time I had upstate, but it's the last time I've been here. Yeah. Um, so let's kick it off first. Let's do the prerequisite. Who are you? Why are you here? What are you doing? Kind of stuff. I own a brewery. Oh, how about that? Who would have think? I thought this was massive quilt reviews. No. No, no that's next week. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I mean, yeah, I started. I mean, I founded upstate in the beginning of 2011. By the time we got a building, bought the equipment, licensing and all that stuff opened in uh basically spring of 2012 so and then we've been here you know the same brew house we opened with we've obviously expanded the building multiple times and um expanded our equipment a handful of times i can't i can't even count at this point so So it was 2012 you came in here you originally had a partner but then you got to a point where you're going to expand and is that kind of where like you kind of throw your everything into the game you go i'm all in or i'm all out and then you just kind of expand from there like how what was the impetus for the where upstate is now i was all in from day one day one yeah i mean i put all i cashed in my 401k and all the savings i had and put, put it all into this thing so <laughs> um yeah i mean i don't know i mean my partner leaving was probably what springboarded things forward to be perfectly honest okay not having that constant tension and someone dragging you backwards every day and fighting and things like that. You know, I hired a guy to, to brew for me and then moving forward was a thousand times easier when you've got someone who's, you know, everyone's rowing the, the boat in the same direction. Uh, and th- what, what year was that? Uh, 2012. 
2014. Okay, so you're talking about, oh, give or take about two years into you opening the spot. Yep. 2014, today's 2018. The beer landscape is infinitely different now oh, than yeah. it was even four years ago. Started off with like, how, how does a brewery get on its feet and essentially like the kind of soccer mom, Finger Lakes kind of wine country of the world kind of thing? Because that's kind of where you guys are in the mm-hmm. kind of southern portion of the Finger Lakes where right. a lot of people come up here and go on wine tours and stuff like that. Was it more kind of you just, you know, this is your home and you want to build a brewery here? Or was it more like a calculated kind of attack of where you wanted to put a brewery? Probably a little bit of both. I mean, I after college, I moved to Los Angeles. I lived there for 10 years and ran a construction company. My wife and I did a homebrew class out there and learned how to brew and brewed a few batches of beer. And then things with my company started to get exhausting, you know, eight, 60, 70, 80-hour weeks, and just it was an uphill battle for everything. And she had, you know, looked at getting a job at Corning Incorporated, got a job offer, and it was like, well... If we're going to do something, let's do it. And then, you know, just, yeah, growing up here with a hundred wineries on the lakes seemed like a pretty logical place. There was, you know, maybe five or six breweries at the time, a hundred wineries. It was like, well, people drink way more beer than wine. This is probably not a bad idea. Now, you said you went and took that homebrew course. What was the reasoning behind that? You just were interested in it? Yeah, I've always loved beer, especially craft beers and, you know. Los Angeles wasn't exactly a hotbed of craft beer when I lived there, but it was, you know, it was definitely on the forefront, you know, not necessarily local stuff, but, you know, from Northern California, Oregon, Washington, and other parts, so. So when you got into it, it essentially a lot of the California beers, a lot of your West Coast IPA stuff like that Absolutely. Is, is what you got into yep. it, the whole Stone Roadmap kind of thing? Yeah, uh, Racer 5, those kind of beers, and some, some there was one local brewery near us in Torrance, the Strand, Strand Brewing Company, who, you know, I like their Pat Lyle, you know, simple stuff like that. Was it more the, the old old style brew puppy kind of place, or yeah? I mean, it was yeah, nothing that I would lose my mind over. But mm-hmm. you know, I, I I've never wanted to drink a Bud Light. <laughs> just I've never, not even when I was seventeen. You know, I mean, it just no, it was just nothing that's ever interested me in the least. Wait, so well, how, you're from. Oh, go ahead, well, how many years ago would that been? That we were in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, we moved here right the end of 2010 or well i mean my wife did and i moved you know four months later or something so just how different even back then craft beer would have been oh what you're brewing then what people are looking for now totally different i mean half the breweries that you know we like and look up to and that are huge now didn't even exist then (laughs) when you you landed here then in 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 2010 was it like i'm going to open a brewery or is it more like you got here and be like let's fill that void because no no it was the brewery that was the focus okay i'd already started to put together a business plan cash flow forecast you know we waited until january of 2011 to file the uh, you know that the paperwork for the llc so that we weren't doing something for 2010 for no reason so yeah but it was yeah i mean once we hit the ground here probably by april i was looking for buildings and stuff and it took until december basically of 2011 to find something put in an offer all that stuff to go through and then get the uh, brewing equipment on order and, and just for for like full disclosure when mark said he'd never wanted to drink a bud light when he was 17 that's because by law i think you have to drink during cream ale when you're 17 <laughs> up this way so it's more yeah <laughs> anyway <laughs> so you, you uh you come in and you start the brewery um you go through with your partner drew a bit you get to the point where you were you know 2014 uh you go on your own did you like at that point, you're you're making the core beers that you have now. At this point, you're, are you making? We the... had, yeah, maybe in 2014, we were we were we had sort of our 
we had three year-round beers, and then we had sort of our year-round seasonals. You know, seasonal. For what spring. were those? Well, Common Sense and IPW, which are the two beers okay. we opened with. We had by that time we had added our XPA, which is an extra pale ale, and then we had you know three seasonals: Irish Blonde for the spring, Summer Haze in the summer, our Fire Pit, which is a wet hot pale ale for the fall, and then uh, I had that was the first year I did our Honey Porter for winter. It was really the 2014 was the first year for kind of all those beers. Uh, talk about the Kentucky Common Ale. Like, where did that come out of? Because, I mean, I, now you can see drips and drabs of people doing beer yep. like that. But when you did it, I mean, it was kind of like from you know, a book, forgotten world. Yeah, it was thing. from a book on the history of brewing specifically to the United States. So styles and things mm-hmm. specific to this country. And that was, you know, a big chunk of it. It was a, a super popular beer style in and around Louisville, Kentucky before Prohibition. And it was a terroir thing. It's that they just had what they had, and they had exactly. to make a beer, correct? Yep. And that are, that book basically said 85% of the beer consumed around Louisville at that time was that style. You know, similar to today, a ton of small breweries, for whatever reason, like you said, probably just availability of ingredients, they all brewed a very similar style of beer. And that's what it was. And it, it sounded super attractive <laughs> because it was something that would appeal to a lot of people, yet be unique. Yeah. Which... Is exactly what it is. And then when you brewed it for the first time, you drank it where you're like, I love this. Did it take a lot of tweaking? Did you nail it right off to get? Um, we've it's been tweaked a little bit, but yeah, I mean we you know, we took the the beer early on, maybe the first or second time we ever brewed it like at the homebrew stage to a party and with about four beers I think total, that was the first beer to go. So was a good sign yeah i mean it's super chuggable it's it's what you want it's a drinking beer right it's what you want to drink when you're actually out doing stuff but it's and also it's it's appealing to people on the shallow end of the craft beer pool or the deep end because it's unique enough to appeal to someone who's super mm-hmm. into craft beer but easy drinking enough to appeal to you know somebody who maybe just wants a blue moon or whatever is that a conscious effort you guys make to have something on tap that for that person who comes in here or? i mean that, that wasn't exactly it it mm-hmm. just kind of worked out that okay. way because you know and it, it's it's nice it's it's more relaxing for us as a brewery to have the flagship not be something like an IPA where we're depending on hops and can we get True. them and this and that and the prices and you know with this beer there's not a whole lot of hops in it you're getting malt that's easy to get and yeah. it's it's just it's easy yeah. uh, and, and and let's speak to um, the whole serving the pint thing when you first opened you couldn't do that no, right not until December of 2014 so <laughs> everything happened in 2014 <laughs> I guess <laughs> and then like what as a brewery you're, what are you doing is it just growler fills out the door and then it's tasting that- so you could do it like a tasting flight or tasting yeah. or whatever you know we had at the time and then yeah growlers out the door that was it i mean we were canning we started canning in june of 2013 you almost had to right right well we had we were relying so heavily on distribution because you couldn't sell pints yeah i mean it wasn't there wasn't a whole lot for anyone to do in the tap room come hang out maybe sample a beer and get a growler to go but that's you know it's a pretty limited transaction for a fairly small group of people not you know now on a friday night we pack 50 60 people into the tap room you know it's a very different business model (laughs) And uh, speaking of the Kentucky Common and a lot of the beers that you do, um, I mean, today's world, you do, you know, you have your, you know, your um, uh, anniversary ale, which is a big kind of hazy New England style IPA. And we'll get to that whole world in a minute. But uh, a lot of your stuff is kind of, I'd say, smaller, cleaner, kind of, you know what I mean? I don't want to say textbooky beers, but beers that, you know, you can't really hide much. And right. as far as flaws and stuff like that, clean, mm-hmm. crisp, making beers, like uh, is it a little bit of a sadomasochist kind of thing when it comes <laughs> to that, or is it no. more this is that's what you like, that's what you enjoy? 
that's just yeah. I mean, it's the kind of stuff we enjoy. It's just I don't know. For us, it's not it's not any more difficult to make those kind of beers. For a lot of people, it is. You I mean, know, what maybe I mean? it is. I don't know. We have a fairly concise you know process and procedure for everything. As long as it's followed, it all seems to go pretty well. So. Okay, and um, what is it? About two years ago, two or three years ago, we I ended up uh, talking with you on, on social media after doing a couple of your beers and then we kind of hooked up and I did a couple other ones. And then, uh, you know, a year or so went by and then I think 2016 you came out with your anniversary, mm-hmm. the, uh, the 2016 yes. ale, your, your answer to the turbid yeah. butternut squash sure. soup, soupy beer. <laughs> yes. uh, what are your thoughts? One on, on, on eventually making that beer, and then two, the impetus behind it, like there, I, obviously the reason is because you know what I mean. You want to make good beer, but you also want to keep the doors open. Sure. Uh, is it, like, how did that change the mindset of the brewery when when beers like that start to take off and you know you have to follow suit? That's fine, but it was fine by us because we like those styles. I mean, when mm-hmm. people come by the brewery, they're always bringing beer. You know, Trillium, yeah. Treehouse, Tired Hands, those kind of things. So it wasn't it wasn't twisting our arm <laughs> we had already sampled those beers like those beers and, you know and then knowing people want them like it kind of pushes i mean if you look at the board over there we just brewed our first milkshake ipa you know yeah why because we've sampled a few from places we like them it seems something different people mm-hmm. i think will probably enjoy it it also honestly the new england style makes it way more approachable to way more people yeah someone who isn't into ipas because they're super bitter likes a new you know a new england yeah. style ipa because it's not super bitter you know it's citrusy it's you know tropical fruit it's all these different things that are appealing to a, a wide swath of people it's i mean it seems silly not to me no 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 <laughs> and that's the thing like it's almost like some brewers tend to get a little apologetic when you ask that question but there's nothing wrong it's a delicious beer you right. know what i mean it's more it's it, it a lot of beers that ended up com- coming out of breweries initially are, are based out of love not that you don't love those styles but you didn't create the brewery thinking about a double IP or hazy New England style double IPA one because it didn't exist really right. in its form back then. But two, it's also you know it's it's a fine line between kind of giving people what they want and also making something you'd be proud of. Sure. The reason why I brought it up was a lot of people when they end up making that beer, they try to make somebody else's beer, and they you know they chase specific things, uh, whether it be hops. Or whatever. You kind of went in a little different direction with that. You went with a hop, right? That Peco hop, I think, is what. Uh, the, that's oh, the that's in our double. That's the double. IPA. That's is that that's the double. Got, okay, speak yeah, to that when got, it comes to like the big double IPA. I mean, that's got Pico and Azaka, which are dwarf hops from a, yeah. a hop farm in Washington. They're, yeah. I mean, it's very new. They're not using by a whole lot of people. I mean, uh, Founders does use it, I think, in their you know, like an Azaka single hop IPA or yeah, yeah, yeah. that they make, but. We had found about I had found out about that even before they had put it out. I don't know. I think I was just researching hops, trying to find out what was available that we could get. Because it's was hard. that it? Is it yeah. a matter of, of uh, need? And Basically, you had to find something. Yeah. Well, I wanted to find something. I didn't want to just use the same thing that everyone uses in every double IPA or mm-hmm. what seemed to be the case at that time. You know, Citra, Mosaic, Simcoe. Mm-hmm. That's great, but they're also hard to get. Yeah. They were, you know, two two and a half years ago, or almost three years ago, I guess at this point when we were built, working on it. It was tough to get that stuff, and it's it was super duper expensive, and we didn't have everything on contract. So it's if you don't have it and you can't really get it or not get it easily, it's it makes it tough. Where those were new hops, you know, that only one farm was growing at the time, and you know, I talked to the farm. I said, yeah, we got tons of it. If you want some, all right, cool. That made it easy. 
So in the drive out here, the double was the thing I was the most excited to talk about for one, well, many reasons, but the main reason was you guys were the first around here, at least putting things in 16 ounce cans. You have this IPA and what do you do? You put it in a 12 ounce can. You do like the <laughs> least trendy, like, like, hey, we have this IPA that's drinking like these other IPAs that people are putting in 16 ounce cans, blowing up and everything else we put in 16 ounce cans. But it wasn't just like a screw you industry no. thing. It was... It was a simply availability. Right? Yeah. We, we use mobile canning guys and we rely, or at least at the time with the company we had, we relied on them getting the bright cans that we would then label. And at the time, 16-ounce cans were so hot, they were almost impossible yeah. to get. And he, for you know a four- or five-month stretch, couldn't get any. And it was like, well, we got this beer coming out in another month. <laughs> what are we doing here? And again, my hands were tied. The yeah. only option we had was 12-ounce. Obviously, since then, we've gone to 16s, yeah. just like everything else we do. But at the time, it was just a matter of what we could get our hands yeah. on. I mean, that's the thing it, with hops, grains, and equipment, and a lot of stuff is we're small. We don't have a lot of leverage or, or yeah, any exactly. most of the time we don't have we're not flush with cash so it's hard you have to kind of get what you can get when you can get it and it doesn't always end up with us having yeah. the best stuff ever. It, it's fun because you're damned if you do damned if you don't on that because you know the 16 ounce can became popular because of necessity because people wanted to put beer in cans and right. they had to use 16 ounces they had to yep. and then it became like a kind of you know, like a mark or a monument to like the double IPA. And then Absolutely. it was like, okay, now the thing that we, they couldn't get rid of, now we have to use the other thing or yeah. some crazy yeah. 20 ounce cans, like you're, you know, whatever. Right. Um, and it kind of flips the script back and forth. Um, you talk about availability uh, when it comes to like the hops and, and cans and malt and all that kind of stuff. It, it, New York has, you know, a rich history in making malt and hops and all that stuff. Yeah. Some, you know, is coming back pre-prohibition stuff, mostly a little bit of fungusy, funky stuff too. Do you try to source New York ingredients as much as you can, or do you try to stay consistent as possible and then source where you can get it? We try to stay consistent. I mean, for the majority, you know, the, our sort of flagship beers, you know, re-around beers, whatever you want to call them, They've had kind of the same hop and grain bill since the beginning. We're not going to really change. Yeah. But again, we do so many one-off IPAs now that we do source, I mean, a good bit of hops locally from, you know, two different hop farms that we work with, you know, for pellets throughout the year. Then we do, we get, you know, wet hops from both to do pale ales, you know, wet hop pale ales in the fall. And then, you know, we just got a, an order of grain delivered yesterday from a, you know, a local malt house. So... We're getting something. We're not a farm brewery. We're just mm -hmm. a regular microbrewery. So we're not required to, but at the same time, we want to use stuff yeah. because it's neat. It's different. It's fun. And the hops we've gotten locally have actually turned out to be really good. So it's, you know, it's a win-win at that point. What's the hardest thing for, for you guys consistency-wise? I know, like, you're talking about, like, you keep the ingredients the same as they were ingredient-wise on your kind of core beers. But, you know, it's the, it, grain and hops aren't static. They change in themselves. So you have people who want the same beer over and over again, including yourself. But at the same time, you're not working with it in a vacuum. Right. Like, what kind of challenges do you meet when with that kind of stuff? I mean, stuff changes over time. It's not the end of the world. Honestly, we, we try to adapt as best we can. I mean, again, that's the other sort of blessing and curse. <laughs> the blessing side of the IPAs is that they aren't the same every time, you know. If, if every two weeks you have a new IPA, people aren't expecting the same thing. So if, because quite frankly, it, it happens all the time. It happened for like three months in a row that every week I placed a grain order and every week they were out of something. <laughs> so you have to 
Yeah, I can't just say, well, we'll hold off on that for another three weeks. You know, you got to pick something yeah. that they have in stock that's close to what you want and go with it. And luckily, you know, it's all been for the IPAs. So, yeah, if it's not, it's what we had in mind. What you know, no one knows what's in our heads, so they're not expecting something different. Typically, when they walk in the tap room, the um, the way that you have to produce the IPAs, and and I assume, what's your most popular beer? What are your top, a couple top? I mean, most we brew the most the, of common sense, common but sense. probably the most popular as a as a category are IP, you know, hazy IPAs. Are there beers that like uh, the amount of turnover turnover you have to do for that? Because you know you're in a smaller space, mm-hmm. you're fighting for space within your own space sure. here. Um, does it ever prevent you from making stuff that you kind of want to kick around or knock around, or do you have like a smaller pilot system that you guys just bang weird no. stuff out with? No pilot system. <laughs> if we don't know what we're doing by now, shame on us. <laughs> Fair enough. No, I mean, like last year we did a Saison, we did a Mexican lager, you know, black IPA. Um, right now, you know, we've done a handful of sours, which aren't, you know, across the board in craft beer, they're fairly popular, but here locally, not so much. But we managed to move a decent amount of beer, and people are interested to try something new as long as it's not too crazy. You know, a Saison, yes, it's different, but it's not that different. So, you know, it went over well, and we sold all of it, you know, I mean, we rarely have ever throw beer out, and if we do, it's because there's a problem. I would imagine Saison would go well. Um, I mean, a lot of people get through the get into craft beer through like yeah. the wheat beer door, and then yep. wheat beer to Saison is not but, a big jump. But you know, dark beers and barrel aged beers they fly here because yeah. we don't typically do we didn't do many of them, and we do, we still don't do a lot of them per se. But they, you know, we sell out of that stuff. And, blink of an eye well let's talk to that you're talking about stuff flying off the shelves how has this area kind of treated you guys from like opening and whatnot from like both like the government side of things to <laughs> to the to the people side of things. the government side of things is easy i mean the town of horseheads who you know kind of governs us here is easy to work with they're very business friendly state of new york ttb i mean once you get through the licensing on that there's not a whole lot more to do i mean label approvals and stuff for Selling packaged product in the stores, or whatever, is you know takes time, but it's not, you know, it's not anything excessive. But overall, I mean, from that side of things, it's it's been fine. And you know, over over the years, we've we've grown slowly. We've added beers slowly. We've added equipment slowly. We've done everything almost painfully slowly <laughs> to some degree. But and we've built our you know customer base in the same manner, where now we have a, a pretty robust customer base so that it, it does it makes it easier for us to then try new things where you know if we tried that six months in I, I, there's no way it would have worked as well <laughs> just the, the business model is different we've often just you know we just built up you know customers over time and, and, and we built up a, a reputation of doing things well whether it is ipas or you know dark beers or, or whatever at this point people seem to trust what we're doing now the building you're in, you've been here, and like you said, uh, you know you had your 2012 to 2014. Things kind of changed from there, moving forward. I'm, I'm assuming your business plan, where you thought you'd be in the beginning, is you're way different place now than where you thought we'd be, or you're kind of on track with what. Um, you... I mean, from a growth standpoint, we're probably. I mean, we're not probably as as big as I had thought, but as a business model, it's very different. Because when I went into this, you weren't allowed to sell pints here, so my mm-hmm. my idea was never that. Hey, we're you know a third of our building would be tap room and we'd rely on walk-in business for the bulk. It was more a plan based around, you know, being obviously with the name Upstate, appealing to a wide range of 
New York, anything north of Westchester, if you want to say, and that we would wholesale and sell through distributors throughout the majority of upstate. And it's just, we've gotten out of so much of that and pulled it all back in here. So into the growth point, like where, what do you guys, cause I mean, uh, last time I t- talked to you last, yeah, last time I was here, it was a lot of like, you know, just kind of fitting stuff where, where you can find room, you know, you just, uh, we're talking about, you just got a fooder in, yep. um, and you're expanding. Is there plans to, cause you're kind of, we are squished, <laughs> in, squished here. in here, not, not, <laughs> not just the building, but also like the, the property, outside, the property itself. Yeah, we've built is basically to the limits of where we can build. So, uh, I mean, I'm I'm looking at upgrading. and there's room to grow. There's still room to grow. Oh, for so. sure. I mean, I'm looking at up. I'm literally been you know, spent yesterday on the phone for a couple hours talking to people about getting a larger brew house in here and you know having it basically custom made with our lower ceilings and whatnot to to pump out more beer. You don't want to move. It's not that we don't want to move, but the cost of moving is so mm-hmm. prohibitive. You know what I mean? We've we've been fighting. We've been paddling upstream <laughs> since the day we opened and. Kind of, you know, midway through 2017, we got to a fairly comfortable place where we've got steady business. Yeah. We're doing can releases. It's, you know, we can kind of put our take our heads up and have a, a moment of breath and not just be going a thousand miles an hour, 24 hours a day. You don't day. want to go back to that. Well, it's not that we don't want to go back to it, but at the same time, I've expanded this building and added equipment. We've got to start paying this stuff off too because <laughs> it's hard to have, you know, a half million dollars in loans here and then mm-hmm. be like, hey, give me another million or a million and a half for over here because, you know, I, moving into this building was a challenge because it wasn't a brewery. It was a catering company. And then we've had to adjust and tweak and put so much money into changing the building that I don't, if we moved, I don't want to go into another building that was something else. I would yeah. rather build from the ground up, but by the time you buy the land and you know, clear it if need mm-hmm. be or remove whatever building's there and then build that and then well, get your at the new... same time keeping this place afloat. Right, and running exactly. It and but it's just, it's a lot of money. And then I don't know, you know, it's a small area here. You know, Horsehead's Elmire isn't, there aren't, it's not Buffalo with a million and a half people or whatever. Like just because we grow and have a, facility that's two three four times bigger doesn't mean we're going to get two three four times as many people in here necessarily either and and is and that's the thing too do you want to be one of those people do you do you want to end up being like a brewery that expands beyond the state and and, and, you know what i mean or do you want to be elmira's brewery do you want to be i don't mind being regional you know Mm -hmm. we have distribution in rochester a little bit in buffalo you know a little in new york city still binghamton and here and that's enough i mean i don't know every day you see breweries that have expanded too much they seem like they're you know imploding in on themselves like once you get so big then you have to cover that nut every month you have to sell Mm -hmm. beer you have to do this you have to hire salespeople and do this and that it's just and then you're you're not brewing you're not right you're chasing something else at that point where now we're in a, a pretty comfortable spot you know literally here in this building and on this road and then just as a business and it's not yeah i mean do i want to grow yeah i'd like to grow a little more because there's demand there's more, yeah. Yeah. more demand than we you know can produce at this point but at the same time that's a good place to be yeah it's a weird i don't want to call it a stigma but there's so many great breweries out there that like the new glares of the world the odell's of the world they just want to be a great brewery not worry about becoming the king shit of fuck mountain you yeah. know what i mean like right and just being like mass-produced craziness you know well, quite frankly i want to keep the business strong so that in three years when things maybe start to shake out we're still alive. I don't want to be to a point where we have some unreal expectation of revenue and things. And then when that 
falls off by 50%, we're screwed and we're no longer in business because that kind of defeats the purpose. And that leads me to the next question I was gonna ask is perfect, is like, where do you see all this going? Like, what's your theory? I have theories, I'm sure yeah. Kyle has theories. Where do you see the, this going? I mean, there's gonna be a fallout at some point. Uh, probably, you know, I mean, there's already been a handful of breweries. I mean, I just read an article this morning that New, New Belgium laid off people this week. Yeah, Smutty I mean, Nose is an option. Right, yeah. exactly. Like, <laughs> how crazy is that? Exactly. Like, like, just like, That's hard to comprehend. I mean, not to go back, but like, again, like seven years ago, Smutty Nose is going to be like, like, what? Yeah. Like, did, yeah. And, and that's the thing, like, I don't think you'll have an issue. And, and by you, I mean your your kind of brew. I, I, right. I personally think that it's all going to become hyper regional, and everybody's going to have their core sure. cent, center areas. Yeah. Whereas like places like Smutty Nose, who tried to get to the uh, Sierra Nevada level, those are the ones that unfortunately you know, are probably going to fall by the wayside that are not big enough, but not small enough to take it back. Right. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Because even that brewery going to auction, who's interested in buying a brewery with that kind of capacity uh, for millions and millions and millions of dollars? I mean. They just proved to you that you can't do it and make money. So, uh, you know. <laughs> that's, well, that's actually the, one of the saddest theories that I have is that, like, you had, like, a lot of the bigger companies, your Miller Coors, EV, InBevs of the world, they were getting to the point where they were kind of in a bidding war for buying places, whether it be, you know, Ballast yeah. Point or whatever, that now it almost seems like they're like, okay, let's just wait it out. And then when these breweries fail and go to auction we can buy them for pennies on a dollar and get into the door that way instead of buying a brewery for a billion dollars yeah. we'll just wait till they yeah. kind of fall off and then we'll pick up the scraps but it's and gonna happen it that way. whether it's beer or cars or computers mm -hmm. i mean you have a you have a the, the top of the bell curve and then you have it goes back down i mean it's just the way it always works in every industry so it's gonna happen and I mean, we lost a, a, a brewery here locally birdland they're gone Another one up by the lake heavily now has switched from being a brewery to essentially just an event space like Nedlo up near Rochester, yeah. which was, you know, won an award at GABF that two was weeks weird earlier one. and then, you know, announced they were closing. It's like, holy shit, yeah. you know, it's from people, you know, owners that seemingly had money and they built this beautiful facility. And I mean, I don't know why they closed, you know, I don't know the, the inner workings of it, but it's not there anymore. Yeah. You know, it makes you, it has to make you kind of wonder. And then you, you, you touched on it and it's, you said basically in a couple of years when things change now, a brewery like yours, that has a super well-rounded kind of draft list, you know, from the kind of, you know, barrel aged this to now you have the food or the hazy IPA. What do you, I mean, you guys will be able to adjust because well, you'll be like, if the, if the theme changes, how do you feel about those breweries that just put all their hat? in one ring and that's all they do and you know that's we know fine. what we're talking about yeah but, it, but it, and, and probably they'll they've made enough money in that one <laughs> hat <laughs> that they're probably financially stable enough to do something else and quite frankly if you're brewing those things you probably know what you're doing they can stop but the nice thing about us being small is we can stop on a dime and ch turn mm -hmm. it's not we're not making we don't have nationwide distribution branding you know our one of our beers isn't the official beer of X, Y, or Z, but we can't change it. Any, you know, our flagships will probably sort of stay that way. And then, you know, like last year, I think we did 48 different beers. Well, they could be any other, you know, in two years, maybe it's 48 other kinds of beers. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. As long as we're keeping the customer happy and doing what we like, it's, 
to some degree irrelevant. I can assure you as the <laughs> owner, I do not like every beer we make. I don't like dark <laughs> beers. I don't like barrel-aged beers. I, I don't really love saisons. I was on a tour down at Dogfish Head, and they, that's what they said. They said, if you like every beer we make, you probably are lying to us. Like, And that's yeah. such an interesting thing to hear a company say about their own beer. Like, I I don't like everything. But it's also being, you don't and you don't have to like. No, I mean one of because, our but it's taste. I mean that, yeah. And, it's and one of our newer beers that is essentially kind of a year-round beer is called Brunch. It's a brown ale. We do with different coffee beans every time. Wildly popular. I mean, people call specifically looking just for that beer. I don't even like coffee. I don't like coffee or <laughs> chocolate. So I have zero interest <laughs> exactly. in drinking that yeah. beer. But it doesn't matter. It sounds yeah. like crazy. Yeah. So what do I care? Well, yeah. but that's the thing. You're. I mean. Y- it's like being whatever, any kind of like a science slash artistic thing, food, restaurants, whatever. You can't make just what you like. You can if you're some sure. weirdo, like super popular, niche, Anthony Bourdain like guy who has a following where people come right. to you just because you're you as opposed to what you're making. But you have to be one, smart enough to be able to be like, one, okay, I don't like this, but people do. And two, be smart enough to know other things. Like when I, um, I had a conversation with a brewery down in Jersey, um, Matt Ziegler from Zigmeister Brewing. It's Hackettstown, PA. Or New Jersey, and he was like, I really don't get, I can't grasp. He's from a tr- traditional brewing sense, the German kind of bre- brewing area or whatever expertise. And he's like, I don't get how to make a really good hazy IPA. So he hired somebody. He was smart enough to know he didn't know how to do that. Right. Hire somebody that knows how to do it. So you have to be able to know what you want to be and what your limitations are or where you want to go with it sure. and understand the market rather than being super pig headed and just doing one thing. And yeah, yeah. And again, that goes to, you know, the guy Mike I hired to brew now, he is into barrel-aged beers. He does like coffee. It's nice having I that. I can't believe you like, don't like coffee. I mean, that's, uh, that's the biggest no. thing to come out of this whole interview. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's a good compliment. And that's, again, yeah. help, you know, is, is how we work together do well. Do you not like is, bacon and sunshine, too? <laughs> those two things I do. Okay. Puppies are okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it helps because... Yeah, I, like I said, in 2014, I, I brewed honey porter for the first time, but I honestly didn't know what the hell I was doing. I don't like that. I'm not going to drink a porter. I'm never going to put money down to drink a porter, ever, ever. So was it good the first year? I don't know. It sold, but, you know, I'm sure it wasn't. We've tweaked it a ton since, yeah. and it's seemingly far better now to everyone. So, But it's those things where he's got a better sense of those kind of beers because he knows what he likes. He likes barrel age. He likes, you know milk stouts and things along those lines i just don't i don't you know i'm <laughs> i'm a five to seven percent ipa pale ale guy and that is it and yeah. i've pretty much been that since i first started drinking let's, beer let's talk about that what do you drink besides your own beer like if there are there breweries out there that really turn you on like whether it be locally or nationally or anything like that you're like man i just I, this I is mean, my yeah, jam you know, trillium treehouse you know tired hands all that kind of stuff obviously i mm-hmm. mean or maybe not obviously but yeah those kind of things i mean I like breweries that, you know, the newer breweries, you know, like Equilibrium in New mm-hmm, York, mm-hmm. Um, Hudson Valley, Suarez, those kind of places. You know, like Hudson Valley does really unique, weird sour beers and stuff. Like, that's not something you typically found in New York, at, you know, a year, year and a half ago. Yeah, It's cool. You know, I'm not going to drive four hours to get it, but <laughs> when our customers want to bring, bring <laughs> go do that trip and bring them here, I'm happy to drink them. But, yeah, there's tons. I mean, there's a ton of breweries I, I enjoy and respect. It's just... It's when I'm here seven days a week, most of the time, or if I'm not here, I'm at home working. There's not a whole lot of free time to go places. So, I mean, I haven't been to another brewery in, I, God, I don't know, a year and a half, maybe two years at this point. 
Yeah, that but we're lucky enough that we have awesome customers that bring us beers from <laughs> all, not only the Northeast, but a lot of them, you know, travel for, for work and things and bring back beer from all over the place. So it's, it's, we get to try way more beer than I ever expected. I love here. that you left a construction job for the hours. <laughs> <laughs> that work but when for, it's that, your own business, I, you know, I'm exactly. just teasing, obviously. No, it's, it's a completely different thing. And working for a living, man, that gets old. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't get old when you like what you're doing, though. That's the yeah. thing. That's the difference. You probably put in the same amount of hours here now, mm, but maybe more. But. Yeah, but it's it, it definitely comes off a little bit tastier. In yeah, the end. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's just again, I'm not reporting to someone per se, yeah. other than the bank at the end of the day. You know, or my Wait, wife. Not we all have a oh, boss. I was going to say, yeah, we all have a boss. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. But that's you know, what I mean, there's a lot less pressure involved there than there was in in the business I ran before. So. So, uh, I mean, we kind of touched on it, but moving forward, like Upstate, like what do you guys have com- uh, going on like in the immediate future, you know, this year, maybe touching in next year? Is it just... just the same, kind of keeping the same thing going. Yeah, I mean, we got, again, we got a new canning company, so our, our cans are right now, and that, that was a huge hurdle for, you know, about half of 2017, which... You weren't happy with your cans? Nobody was. No. Yeah. It was it was just a mess and we you know, we, we were tweaking everything we could tweak on our end and trying to solve this problem that was really never our problem to begin with. And now that that's right, it's a huge relief and then we can go forward hammering it out. I mean, you know, it from the middle of December till the first week of February, we didn't release any cans. Oof. So that, for us that was a long because we were releasing them like twice a, once to twice a month for you know, a year and a half clip. And then we, we, I just had to stop. I couldn't keep doing the, the same thing and expecting different results. And yeah. now that we have a new canning company, it's, it's a huge, huge, huge weight off my shoulders that it's, it's right. Everyone's enjoying the cans. Everything seems to be working out perfectly with the way it should. Yeah. So now it's a matter of, you know, you know I've, we've landed a bunch of hops, you know, the second half of 2017. So we're loaded with stuff for IPAs. But we want to get, like you, know, like you said, we got a fooder delivered a couple days ago. We want to get into doing some aged sours. We've got a bunch of beers sitting in barrels now. I've got another beer on the schedule for uh, March that we're going to put in barrels. So trying to expand some of the the other offerings that we have to, to diversify a little more what we're doing. And just to do stuff, again, that we like. I don't love the barrel-aged stuff, but I love, you know, a sour, an aged sour. It's definitely right up my alley. So be cool to make one. No, exciting. Fooders are fun, man. Stuff you can toss in there. Mm-hmm. Are you going to do non? You're going to do some non-sour stuff first to just kind of get nope. some wood imparted, or are you just going to just throw go stuff in it. there and go in there? Yeah, and like yep. full on, like let's get some yeast and bacteria and just exactly. let it go ape shit. Pretty much. Yeah. See what happens around Christmas time. Who, 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 <laughs> when you drink a sour, when you drink sours, who turns you on? Is there specific breweries, or is it the um, prerequisite Cantillon, Three Fontaine kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, I mean, Trillium does a lot of their soak beers mm-hmm. and different yeah, things. Yeah. I like those. The stuff from Europe, some of it's hit or miss for me. A lot of it depends on the specific strains of Brett they're using, whether it's super funky or less Are you more funky or sour? I like more sour. Okay. I don't mind a little funk, but not too much. And, you know, you get that barnyard band-aid kind of... I love that shit, man. (laughs) I don't don't lean that direction. I mean, I like funk, but I like the tartness that comes along with it. So you like the cascade enamel ripping? Yep, absolutely. (laughs) Um the brewery makes a lot of oh, good yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, I mean, there is there, there's definitely a lot of stuff from Europe we've gotten to lambics and whatnot and different stuff. But my wife likes them, I like them. You know, pretty much everyone that works for me likes them. So it's yeah, why not give it a shot? Who would have thunk it make beer that people like? <laughs> it's this is a weird concept, man. But I mean, if it works, it works. 
So yeah, man. Um, tell people where to find you. How do they find you on the and the internet's on the real life? How do they do all that uh, stuff? I mean, social media. It's all at Upstate Brewing. Mm-hmm. Website's upstatebrewing.com, and then you know we're here on Lake Road in Elmira six days a week. Six days. What Mondays off? Yes. Uh, Got to have at least a day a week where I can clean the draft lines and you know. Good answer. Catch up. Good answer. Um, every two and, weeks, and, like clockwork. And honestly, it's not a bad. It's not a hard place to get to because a lot of people it seems like you know Horseheads Elmira where the hell is it yeah if you're traveling anywhere in the kind of Pennsylvania New York New Jersey kind of area lower New York if you're going to head towards Buffalo or Rochester you have two routes to go you can go 81 north to the thruway or you can cut across what is it 17 yeah, yeah. and they're e- equal amount of time yep so I mean if anybody's out there is actually like loves beer and always takes that route because a lot of people head up Buffalo way you got to go to Toronto because that place is fucking awesome. But um, you're heading up that way. Take the other route, man. Take 17. Swing swing by a little bit of horse heads. Get a little bit upstate in your life. Chug some beers. And, uh, and yeah, I think that's it. Right on. Thanks for the conversation, man. Me I appreciate too. it. Kind of last minute. I was like, hey, man, what are you doing this week? <laughs> Saturday, he's like, sure. I was like, okay, works for me. So there you go. Thank you for uh, tuning in, guys. Hopefully you guys enjoyed. If you have any questions for us, if you have any questions for Mark, like you said, you reach out to him on social media, or you can even contact us at massivebeers at gmail.com. Thanks. This guy over here, Kyle, for coming up and talk so much. Yeah. <laughs> My first time and, ever doing something like this. So <laughs> thanks for Mark's first time, too. Yeah. So. Oh, really? Jeez. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cherry pop and daddies. But uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you for tuning in, guys. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed the conversation, and uh, I'll talk to you next time. Cheers. Cheers.